The From Day One podcast is brought to you by The Bridge. Visit us at thebridgebk.com. Hi, I'm Nick Bailey, and this is the From Day One podcast. Today's guest is Ro Gupta, co-founder and CEO of Carmera. With a platform that's accessible to anyone, Carmera is running a real-time street-level intelligence tool that provides a four-dimensional index of city streets. That kind of work is useful for things like helping autonomous self-driving vehicles figure out where to go, things like letting architects plan projects without having to do manual surveys. The company was founded in 2015. Before this, Gupta was VP of Business Development at Discuss, building web discussion communities. He's also worked as a consultant for the autonomous tractor company, other tech startups. He's had roles at places like Disney, ABC Digital, and Technoserve in Mozambique. Gupta studies civil engineering and operations research at Princeton, and he has an MBA from Northwestern. He was born in Calcutta, India, and now calls Brooklyn his home. Ro, thanks for making the time to stop by. Thanks for having me. So before we go into sort of your, your life story, could you give us just a quick idea uh, of what Carmera does, like what it's useful for, uh, you know, who, who it's for? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. We kind of broadly describe ourselves as a street intelligence platform. Um, and there's a few things under that umbrella, but really our main um, flagship product and our kind of North Star as a company is a high definition mapping suite for autonomous vehicle customers. And, you know, that can range from, um, you know, the big auto companies who are our customers now, also um, what's referred to as mobility as a service companies or uh, more colloquially robo taxi type. Uh, you know, companies where it's more instead of selling uh, autonomous vehicles to uh, individuals, it's um, you know more a fleet uh, type model. Uh, and then there's there's also a growing um, supplier ecosystem as well that um, we serve. Uh, and so that basically is a it's a mapping you know as a service. And um, what's required to build that um, is a lot of sophisticated um, both 3D and machine learning and computer vision technologies to be able to not only build very highly accurate 3D maps once of city streets or really any streets, highways too, but to keep them up to date is really challenging and uh, figuring out efficient ways to do that um, at scale, at the accuracy that the auto industry requires um, and at the you know efficiency that just basic economics requires uh, is is the big uh, task at hand. Now, so for most people, you know, hearing some of these 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 terms, you know, if they're not familiar with the space, would probably think of like Google Maps. It would be like the obvious reference point and Google Street View. Um, you guys have some similarities with that product, obviously, and then also some some really notable differences. You know, how, how would someone who understands Google Maps like, sure. start to understand? Yeah, no, it's it's a good place to start. Certainly, I think. I mean, basically, what we're building this sort of high definition uh, maps are really the next generation. So, you know, Google Maps and Waze and all those tools, which are great, um, are referred to as standard definition sometimes or, um, you know, human navigation maps. Uh, There's a a few uh, different things people call them. But basically those, you know, assume that a human is using them to navigate around and uh, don't require the same level of detail and accuracy that a high definition map that is that a robot or a machine is using. So, and, and just to give you, um, you and your listeners, uh, an idea of why these maps need to exist. Um, so driverless cars, really uh, any uh, you know, robotics, especially going around in complicated environments, they tend to require and use these maps really um, heavily because it, it helps answers three questions that these robots are always asking themselves. One is, where am I? And and not only just where am I generally, but where am I exactly, ideally down to a matter of centimeters? Um, that's referred to as localization. And so having a high quality map um, to kind of 
snap yourself back into place after maybe you know the GPS has drifted or you know you're you're kind of out of the the right X Y uh, coordinate system is very very uh, useful and and most of the vehicle companies are doing that with their maps. Uh, second is around um, redundancy, so. You know the sensors on those vehicles on driverless cars are getting better and better, but there's still you know times when either the cameras or the the radars or what's what are called lidars, which has also become a very important technology in our space. Uh, lidar is basically a spinning laser technology. Um, a lot of times, you know, even the combination of those may there may not be enough confidence on what the actual vehicle is seeing in real time. So they may want to compare that to, oh, okay, we think that's a pole, but does the map say a pole is supposed to be there? Um, so that's um, you know just sort of what's referred to as uh, the perception part of the uh, the vehicle brain. And having a map as almost a fourth sensor is helps to kind of get the reliability up to the levels needed. And then the last thing is around um, really where do I go next? And so that's uh, referred to as path planning. There's you know that's that that's both for immediate like you know in the next meter do I veer left or not, and then also longer range uh, what's six blocks away and should I avoid that block because there's construction there. Uh, maybe a way to describe it would be would be that that a map is you know uh, like a reference point, but like what you're talking about is almost like a model of the world, right? It's like you're basically reconstructing the world. Um, and for those who are familiar with you know movies and science fiction, I mean this is this is a, this is a well traveled path. Um, but you're working. I mean, you mentioned it's a four-dimensional. The, the the idea that this is a four-dimensional map was 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 in your materials. I'm assuming the third dimension is the obvious one, like height, you know, and and spatial information, like something like a like a pole or or a building, right? And then the fourth dimension usually is considered to be time, right? Is that is that is that how you use the, the phrase? Correct. So yeah. What does that mean? Well, that that refers to what I was talking about before about not only building a three-dimensional, you know, uh, reconstruction of the world once, but keeping it up to date over time. So making it as real time as possible. So that's the fourth dimension. You're right, is time, and you know the the map as we're sitting here right now at you know 10:53 a.m. Um, you know, we have we have X Y Z coordinates for everything in the map right now, but at eleven fifteen a.m., some of those things may change, and so that's the that's you know basically what we need to try to keep track of is that change detection as, as best as we can. And is that level of accuracy something that's needed? Uh, you know, for for autonomous movement, you know, by a robot or yeah, know, a yeah. self-driving car. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like you know, there was a few years ago there was some question about just how um, uh, kind of necessary uh, these maps would be. Uh, and now that debate's sort of long gone. Every single company, from you know Google, Waymo, down to the you know the small startups, are using these maps very, um, uh, very heavily. And I think just going back to your earlier point, I actually think the what you said is is a really good intuitive way to understand these as well. Where you know you're talking about is like sort of knowledge, uh, or I forget the the term you use, but um, you know we often um, compare it to just. You know, generally we compare autonomous vehicles to you know how a human you know how the human brain and and nervous system works, right? So the vehicle has a bunch of sensors, which is like you know your eyes and ears and and, and things like that, and then they uh, take in information and then ingest it into a brain that has to make sense of it, right? And ultimately, the brain you know then needs to make a decision and then use its, you know, appendages or, you know, the wheels, throttle, et cetera, to go, uh, you know, make an actual mechanical decision. But in terms of where we plug in, it really is into that brain. And you can think of maps as, um, I mean, just generally uh, an 
a subcomponent of your intelligence, and we kind of segment it into three main. Like, um, I guess every 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 brain, every human brain has a working model of the world yeah, around them. You, if you close your eyes, you don't suddenly collapse. Exactly, the heap, right? Exactly. So you you know you have a certain knowledge or memory of what the world was like, even if you close your eyes or go to sleep. Um, but you know that can also be divvied up a bit because the the way that we provide our information, there's there's sort of knowledge that you want to be you know in the moment as fresh as possible, right? The most accurate, up to date knowledge of what the world is like. But then there's also uh, information that comes from a map that's useful for um, looking ahead, so foresight, meaning you know the driverless car may be at you know. J Street in Plymouth right now, but we happen to know before even, you know, other sources of information that there's construction, um, you know, uh, six blocks away near the bridge entrance, right? And so having that foresight is also very valuable in a mapping service. And then similarly, or sort of the the inverse, um, having historical wisdom is also very helpful, we found. Uh, And this is something actually we didn't really even realize when we started out, but having now collected years of data of real, you know, millions of miles of, of driving um, data across complex places like New York City, we've now been able to use that historical data to know things like, uh, you know, pedestrians tend to be very dense on this block at this time of day, or this block we know tends to fool the, the real-time sensors because there's, you know, a lane, uh, an old lane marking that's very faint, but we know where the real lane marking is. So that kind of historical wisdom is also very useful. And that's, again, very similar to how our own brains really work. The self-driving car thing has, has, has been this sort of a perennial news story. I mean, I think every, I feel like every six or 10 months, it goes from being like self-driving cars are imminent, to like, <laughs> oh my God, this yeah. is, they're 20 years away. You know, it's kind of, it kind of like a flip-flop. Clearly, the answer is that we're proceeding sort of towards it at some speed, and it, and it could be decades or it could be it could be months. I mean, it's hard to, hard to tell. Um, my bias is that it's probably more like decades than months. And I think one of the reasons that comes up sometimes in these conversations is this idea that um, there's certain kinds of, of technology where 99% success like doesn't really work or 99.99%. Um, in computer modeling, one one example that comes up a lot is like weather forecasting. You know, the sensitive dependence on initial conditions, sometimes called the butterfly effect, where like if you get, you know, if you, if your if your initial data is just off by a little, you know, it, it it starts to diverge from your predictions start to diverge from reality very quickly. I think in self in self driving cars or mapping, the problem is if if you get it wrong for thirty seconds out of a year, and that wrong like slams you into a guardrail. Then, then you're dead. So you really don't you don't have the ability to have like 99.9% success. It has to be some kind of a hundred, or the failures have to be some somehow bounded or controlled. Um, is that a problem that you guys are working on solving? Is that is that part of what you guys do? That's yeah. No, and that's, how do you how do you tackle that? That's a really challenging uh, concept to to have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're exactly right. You know, 99 or 99.9 does not cut it. <laughs> it has to be a lot more nines after that decimal point. And that's that's exactly one of the reasons why people do use maps. You know. It, it's, that's one tool that allows you to get to those increased levels of reliability and, and functional safety. And, 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 you know, there's there's precedent for this as well in the auto industry. There's certain, you know, processes and certifications that, um, you know, the auto industry has, um, uh, you know, has put itself through for, for decades. So Aviation, too, has been. And, and, and aviation is right? absolutely very – aviation's actually turned out to be a really good um, uh, historical kind of like case study for a lot of what's going on in, in – um, in autonomous vehicles, not not everything is a perfect parallel, but yeah, I think um, to answer your earlier question, um, it's definitely you know I think 
I think like when people say the, the, the most common question I get at, you know, Thanksgiving or dinner party is when's it coming? But people don't really define it, right? Mm-hmm. What, is, what does it mean? So if you mean every car out there is driverless and you get in your own car, you can push a button and you go anywhere in the country. Yeah, that's, that's definitely decades away. And, and I actually think in some cases that pure, you know, what's referred to in the industry as level five autonomy, which means like autonomous everywhere in all conditions, actually d- doesn't need to or won't ever actually exist. Because if you look at other industries like aviation, I mean, that it doesn't even exist in any other industries. Like we ground planes when it's bad weather or really mm-hmm. anything, right? Um, and it's really, I, I think the easiest way to, to predict things is to, you know, sadly to follow the money, follow the economics, you know. Uh, I mean, yes, the technology too, but I think um, if, you, if you take both of those things into combination, um, what most people kind of in my, uh, kind of my peers in the industry think that you have these parallel paths going on where you have um, what's called kind of level two, uh, level two slash level three autonomy, which is really more like, you know, assisted, you know, just more assisted driving, kind of the next evolution of adaptive cruise control, you know. Right. Lane for for those who aren't aware, the levels in autonomous driving are like, you know, the first level is like it helps you a little. The second level, it helps you more. At a certain point, like the guy can be asleep. Yeah. You, you know, at, yeah. at level five, they don't even have to be in the car. You know, they can you can travel across the country. I mean, yeah, I'm paraphrasing. No, but no, that, that, those that levels kind of work that way, right? They do. And actually, the, the most important um you know, kind of dividing point is between level three and level four, because level four and level five is where you can literally remove the steering wheel and have no driver. It's that, like night rider territory. That, that, yeah, that requires that assumes no driver basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is though that you know for us we actually believe that um, level four makes a lot of sense, and that's where you actually are seeing companies, including you know some of our customers, uh, one of which we've announced publicly are deploying level four deployments, um, like working on them actually this year and and, uh, and intending to scale them out next year. And level four means that there's no driver, but it's it's in kind of controlled conditions, right? So there's geofenced, mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's also usually some, um, a lot of like failover options, right? So like, remote teleoperation may be part of it or, um, you know, just other... That could be something like a shuttle bus from a train station to an event or something like that, right? Or no, but even more than that. So, that. so one I can talk about publicly, we announced uh, earlier this year is a company called Voyage. It's a self-driving taxi company. And they, you know, they, they outfit real, you know, vehicles, real sedans, just like you and I drive and, you know, have an app to hail them. And one of the deployments we announced was in Florida at a place called The Villages, which is the largest retirement city in the country. Um, and it's um, also by mileage, we believe it's still the largest uh, robo-taxi deployment in the world. It's bigger than Manhattan, bigger mm-hmm. than Boston, 750 miles. And so this is, uh, you know, we're still in testing right now, but there's absolutely, there's a you know full um, uh, arrangement with the city and uh, uh, you know a, a contract and economics built in to provide an autonomous mobility as a service for the residents there, many of whom do have a hard time getting around. Um, but as I said, you know, look, it's Florida. The weather tends to be pretty good. Um, the, the, also, the regulations there are very friendly towards AV. Um, also, you know, we've been able to map it and really you know, have a lot of experience on, you know, the routes that we know work very, very well and collecting a lot of data. So by the time that, 
you know, we actually do open it up to um, commercial services, uh, you know, we'll know exactly where we can get to those levels of, you know, 9999 reliability that we need to, right? But that doesn't mean that someone in the villages is going to be able to just say, hey, take me to um, Dallas, uh, right? Right. <laughs> so, right. But elsewhere, elsewhere within a, within a constrained environment of yeah, some sort, right? Yeah. And, but a big one, yeah. like, a, like a city-sized one. You're yeah, saying. yeah, that's a big one. So, so, what I was, so what I was getting at is there's the two parallel paths are that, I kind of skipped ahead to the level four in a kind of geofence type areas around the world. This is happening in you know other places as well. Waymo has been announcing they're mm -hmm. doing, doing that in Arizona and um, companies like GM Cruise are, uh, have been announcing um, you know their cities as well. Uh, and internationally too. Uh, but then the other parallel path is more kind of uh, what I was referring to earlier, kind of the more driver assist technologies, so the level two, level three. Now, the, the problem there though is that you, once you get to a certain point, it becomes kind of like a, a no man's land uh, of you know too much autonomy where it becomes dangerous, where the humans are no longer in the loop enough to actually be able to take over, you know, and, and sort of like the uncanny valley of driving, right? Where like where you've lulled people into exactly. into, into not paying attention, yeah. but they can't not pay attention. Exactly, it, and that's dangerous. and that's where, by the way, the aviation analogies and mm -hmm. some of the other industries are are actually very useful because a lot of this research has actually been done, you know, with pilots and the people. You know, there's there's a literature about when exactly people tune out and what are you know what our attention spins are actually capable of so right subway subway i don't know subway, yeah, subway trains yeah exactly, exactly. yeah mm -hmm. that's interesting this is sort of like a like almost like an, almost seems like an intractable problem where it sort of at least appears that way from the outside it's a very it's a very complex problem with a lot of moving parts um you know talk a little bit how did you how did you get the idea that this was a problem you wanted to tackle in the first place you know how did you end up sort of coming up with the idea to start this company yeah so um my um going sort of going backwards in time my now, previous startup I was at, as you mentioned, was in a different space, but there was a big data component to it, and um, I did find, you know, uh, kind of a. Was this discuss you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, discuss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like the idea of managing the comment sections of the internet is like one of the few things I can think of that seems like more difficult, complicated, <laughs> yeah, right. and challenging. Like people people arguing about about the content of blog posts like seems like seems like almost more more and, more difficult to solve than, than self driving cars. Was I mean, are you attracted to like <laughs> just murderously difficult problems? I guess so, man. I don't. I didn't. Yeah, it's funny you you put it that way, but you're right. Like that, and that's actually gotten even harder since I've left. But um, no, but I mean, I think the you know the idea of doing things at large scale, um, and you know, back then also kind of the you know the social web was like you know really quite revolutionary, and um, I was uh, you know I had a media background. I used to be at ABC News, Disney, and so um, you know that was part of the reason I, I, I joined that startup. But but you know the kind of a once we had grown and you know we surpassed two billion unique users while I was there, you know it, we had this um, just massive presence, and so I think just. Um, uh, there's a kind of a, a key data element as well, using that data to, you know, to power the system, and um, uh, and so that was part of I think what wanted me made me want to potentially start a, a company in the data space. But my background in transportation actually comes from my undergraduate days at Princeton back in the '90s. I was even working on autonomous transit back in you know I think 1998, 1999 uh, when I was an undergrad engineer. Uh, that's also when I was exposed to some of the technologies we use today, like computer vision and uh, what's called neural networks, which is what deep learning is based on. That's basically what a lot of artificial intelligence mm -hmm. uh, systems are based on. Back then, honestly, a lot of these were, were seen as potential fads or gimmicks in the um, academic space. But 
Um, but it was, and so it's been really interesting for me to see this all you know, kind of come full circle over the last 20 years. But I think actually another reason that um, probably subconsciously influenced me um, was, you know, living, so first of all, being born in a developing country in India, um, and also having spent some time in other developing countries like in Mozambique and Africa and other places, you don't, you know, when, you, when you're when you living in that environment, you don't take infrastructure for granted, like especially roads. <laughs> um, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that, you, you know, where you're gonna get, where you need to get to, that there is, um, you know, a nice uh, smooth road. And, um, you know, I think it kind of dawned on me when I, you know, I, I think when, in terms of the, the actual idea for this company, I, you know, I was thinking about my next venture back in 2014, and that's when a lot of the early activity in this space started happening. You know, Tesla started rolling on autopilot. Google started being more public about their self-driving program. Um, Cruise had just launched. Um, and so, you know, I, there were some very specific conversations with, you know, tech technologists in the industry that led me to understand how valuable mapping was going to be. But kind of more from my own personal background of having lived in some of the countries I've lived in, I think, gave me an appreciation for how vital roads really are and how it made sense. Like, if you really think about it, before the internet came along, you know, for millennia, roads were essentially kind of the nervous system for the real world. You know, Mm -hmm. that's how that's roads are the, are the things that connect up you communication know. transport yeah, everything right everything yeah i mean that's you know as that's why i'm sure the romans wanted every road to come back to them right mm-hmm. um so you know if you then kind of um see what happened to our digital lives where you know the internet the, the first thing that you know google realized was crawling and indexing it was going to be incredibly important it made sense that you would want to do that to the real world version of that as well, right? Which are roads. So basically, that's a kind of an abstract way of um, what we do, really. What high definition mapping and, and you know, and, and especially keeping those maps up to date is doing. It's basically crawling and indexing visually, um, you know, the connectors of the real world. Indexing the world, right? Yeah. When you start a company like this, you know, there there is a there is a a well-trodden path for tech startups that's, you know, sort of repeated throughout a lot of media that involves like coming up with an idea, building like a minimum viable product, you know, trying to launch, interacting with customers. You know, that's sort of the way that a lot of tech companies, especially sort of high growth venture backed type tech companies type to growth in the consumer web. Clearly that, that, that approach just doesn't really work for a company like this at all. Um, I mean, I guess you can build a minimum product, but you need a little bit more resources. You can't kind of launch a website in three weeks and see if people post photos on it. You got to you got to have some real, you know, you got to have some real accomplishments under your belt before you really have any anything that approaches a business. Talk a little bit about how you sort of start a business like that. Do you, you know, like literally speaking, do you write a business plan? Do you do you start by talking to investors? Do you, do you get partners? Like, you know, how does mm-hmm. what does the first month or two look like when when you really take that seriously? Yeah, I mean, I. Um, I think I would I would both agree and and slightly disagree. I I, I still think that no matter what you're um, what you're trying to do um, from a kind of entrepreneurial standpoint, there's always a lot of like stuff that you can do early on in a very scrappy way to just answer questions or validate or invalidate certain things to save you and your you know team and your investors and everyone a lot of time and effort. Right. Um, so. I, I definitely and, and we did a lot of that too. So, for example, before even committing to starting this, before telling, you know, my wife and family that I'm going to 
pursue this harebrained idea. Like this, the idea for Carmera actually had a few different iterations. And I, you know, I actually, there were some, because I had been in startups before, there were a number of investors who wanted to invest in, in earlier kind of um, incarnations of, of the idea. And I, I d- didn't feel like I had done all my homework and kind of that scrappy, you know, uh, validating or invalidating before, um, you know, like w- when they when there was initial interest. So I think um, to give you an example, like the name Carmera, like it, er, the initial idea was literally a car camera, you know, mm-hmm. like a dash cam that we would sell as a consumer electronics product. And really, yeah. And so there was a lot of you know. Uh, homework I did on nights and weekends while I was on my last job and just kind of like researching, talking to commuters, talking to people who knew something about consumer hardware and realizing for a number of reasons that actually I kind of hated that idea afterwards. Mm-hmm. But that led me to this little maze and then it led me into talking to actually professional drivers, you know, because I was talking to people who drive a lot, but some of them happened to also be Uber drivers. And ultimately that led me down this breadcrumb trail of talking to not professional drivers, but their bosses, you know, drivers who drive for, you know, delivery companies or something, right? All right. So that's, I, I don't know if we, I don't think we covered this, but one of the ways that we keep our maps fresh is we partner with professional fleets. So that could, they could be, you know, package delivery or storage companies or something like that. And we install sensors on their vehicles and we provide them a safety uh, analytics and um, monitoring service for their drivers and their vehicles. And in return, we're able to capture, um, you know, visual data on the street very, very efficiently. Um, but I didn't, you know, that wasn't just like an idea right off the bat. That took s- probably six months of nights and weekends doing research like that, you know, and, and before committing to even starting the company. Um, but I will agree that, you know, in this space we're in, you know, some people call it, you know, frontier tech or hard tech or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, like it's it definitely very different. From, actually, and it's a good a good comparison, <coughs> a good contrast to my previous company, Discuss, which was basically a, a bit of JavaScript that you embed onto your site. So right. that's something you could do in a hackathon and just start, you know, getting people to use it right away, right? So you are right that you can't, you can't really ship a product in this industry without you know, having more, um, you know, a, a bit more of a foundation and a bit more resources. So, so basically what the way we approached it is, is like, let's get confidence that this, the model that we have, first of all, that the problem is, you know, a, a, a big enough problem, a worthy problem to pursue. So I, you know, I did my homework, talked to people at Google, at, you know, some of these driverless car companies early on, sometimes often off the record, you know, cause that's mm-hmm. when you get people to really talk. I also did my homework on, okay, what's one of, you know, we know one of the hardest things is how to keep these maps up to date, you know, have a few ideas on how it could do that. And then, you know, started to, to actually talk to the people, like in, in this case, um, you know, fleet drivers and fleet managers that to see if that would actually work and got confidence in that. And then the last thing was really, you know, in a company like this, you really like so much of it is the team, right? I mean, this is such a cliche now, but especially in, in what we're doing, um, there's just so many complex technologies that have to work together, and, and um, you know it's a it's a it's a marathon, uh, not a sprint. So I wanted to be confident in my founding team, and you know, and being able to grow that team, and and that you know the talent that would be required in some of the hardest to recruit disciplines nowadays, like machine learning, computer vision, robotics, uh, geospatial engineering, that kind of thing. Um, and that's actually how, you know, in that process, I met my co-founder, Justin Day, who was the CTO of MakerBot at the time, the 3D printer company, mm-hmm. also a Brooklyn company. And, um, uh, you know, that's, you know, I'd actually been talking to some other folks who are also very bright people, but were not quite the right backgrounds for the company. 
Um, and but when I met Justin and, and vice versa, we knew that okay, this this match really makes sense. And now we've kind of checked all those boxes to go out and you know really make this official. And that's when we actually raised our first like our, our first round of funding. Um, speaking of speaking of, of of hard to recruit. You guys are based in New York, which uh, which is interesting, especially for this kind of technology, like the real yeah. sort of sort of heavy technology. You know, a lot of people associate that with the Bay Area. Um, what made you decide to stay in New York, and, and I guess in Brooklyn specifically as well? Yeah, you know, th- there's a lot that that we've done that has like I, I would be lying if we you know I told you we knew that we had to do this three years ago, right? But one thing I think we were pretty you know thoughtful about. Um, uh, very, you know, at, at the from the get go was where we wanted to be based, uh, especially you know given how important the talent uh, was going to be for this company. So, and and there's a number of other reasons why we wanted to be based in New York and, and specifically Brooklyn. Honestly, a lot of it was just because we live here. We have we have kids and you know families. Our personal lives are here. Mm-hmm. Both of us have been in New York tech for you know over a decade, and uh, our networks are here. But you know the um, actually that some of the the other folks that I had been talking about co-founding this company with were actually based in other places like in the Bay Area uh, or in even Boulder, Colorado. And um, one of the reasons that we really liked basing it in New York was because you know there weren't really any other companies um, operating in the autonomous vehicle space here. And they, as far as we know, there still aren't. We, as far as we know, we're still the only real AV technology company, meaning like directly, you know, focusing on that space in New York. And and we knew that would be an advantage because, um, you know, there's great talent here, but in this particular field, which is becoming more and more interesting to smart technologists, there's not many other options around New York City. So, um, so the, the same idea thing kind was, of is to like use use New York as a draw because New York is you know the greatest city in the world as we're all aware. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, but but to be in a, to, you know solving interesting hard problems that people who want to live in New York and want to and don't want to give that up exactly and yeah. maybe don't want to work in finance or quantitative stuff or the things that New York Tech is or, also or known e- for. Yeah, exactly. Even if they're in, even if they're tech, like if they want to, don't want to do work in ad tech or fintech or something. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the, the other reason for for New York as well is we you know as I mentioned one of the things that's that's hardest about what we do. Is keeping the maps up to date, but the other the, the other thing that's really hard about high definition maps is doing them in dense urban areas as opposed to highways. So highways is actually much much easier to to map in the way you need to map them for autonomous vehicles. But there's so much that just granularity and chaos in you know in cities and also things like urban canyon effects with with GPS that cause mm-hmm. your maps to be inaccurate. There's and you know weather, Tunnels, snow covering, run, yeah, exactly. All those things you get. It and really so, it's a truly three dimensional landscape here in New yeah, York, right? Yeah, and you know so we wanted to prove that we could do this in one of the hardest areas in the country and you know it doesn't get much harder than New York. New York's also really good because it's like it's like its own country in terms of, you know, GDP and population and things like that. So you can really test things out here and be pretty confident that, you know, yeah, this this is um this is a big sample size. So Right. Um and and you know, I think one of the other things you mentioned related to this point was that in addition to our main product focus to serve autonomous vehicle customers, we've also recognized that the data we collect uh, can be useful for non-automotive industries like you know uh, city planning, construction, architecture, that kind of thing. And those, you know, the built environment is, you know, it, it's arguably New York is the capital of that as well uh, uh, of this country. Um, so you know, it was another good reason to start here. 
Got it. And you guys are based in, in Brooklyn? Where in Brooklyn? Uh, we're right here in Dumbo, uh, right in, in this building. Actually. Upstairs in this building. <laughs> actually, we have a couple. For those who don't know, that's uh, uh, 10J Street here. In a, well, or we're 20J in, Street, we're sorry. 20J, yeah. Um, uh, we, are, we actually have a couple uh, facilities. We're, we're, we have an office here. We also um, have um, uh, some office space and some equipment we keep in the uh, new lab in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. We also have a Seattle office, too. So that, And that was, by the way, an extension of our kind of New York strategy. Seattle's another great city for, for technology talent. Uh, it's also fairly progressive, actually, on some of the technologies, that, you know, like uh, driver's car technologies um, in terms of a, a regulatory uh, standpoint. And um, and there, there's a lot of great geospatial talent, um, you know, people from mapping backgrounds. And so um, that's our kind of HQ2, and that's been growing really fast as well. Gotcha. What's next for you guys? So next is, um, this has been a really active year for us in the industry. Um, so. Uh, one of the things that we're just about to announce is uh, one or two of our international uh, deployments. So we've become fairly active in Northeast Asia, um, and I, we expect that to continue. Um, there's also some um, some other pretty re- some really interesting projects that unfortunately I don't know if we'll be able to talk about in the next few months, but hopefully towards the end of the year or early this year. But it has to do with some of those um, kind of uh, level four, you know, robo taxi type of um, of customers and, and projects that we're involved with. Um, and then the other thing, though, is, is and especially relevant to here in Brooklyn, is uh, we're definitely um, still in growth mode, still hiring. In fact, probably we'll be even more aggressive uh, in the latter part of this year. So, um, you know, uh, stay tuned. But p- please, um, you know, check out our our website or. or Sign up for our newsletter or, or drop us a line at join at carmera.com because uh, we're definitely, you know, to our earlier point, we're, we're very high on New York tech talent. And, you know, the truth is that, uh, especially in some of those disciplines like machine learning, computer vision, New York's actually right up there with any um, a- any technology hub in the country or the world. So, um, you know, we're eager to take full advantage of that. That's awesome. Ro, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You've been listening to From Day One. Brooklyn entrepreneurs got their start. This series is made possible by The Bridge, a news site dedicated to reporting on business in Brooklyn. With help from Complex Ventures, a Brooklyn-based digital agency working with more than profit companies and organizations. For more from The Bridge, to learn more about today's guest, or to listen to more episodes of From Day One, visit us at thebridgebk.com. That's T-H-E-B-R-I-D-G-E-B-K.com. From Day One is produced by Cora Feeder, Steve Kep, and myself, Nick Bailey. Audio editing and post-production by Steph Derwin. Our theme music was performed by Jody Rockwell and the Ambulance. And our founding sponsor was the Made in New York Media Center. Thanks for listening.